Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Today, we finish a series of messages entitled 23, A Song of Life. It's the idea that Psalm 23 is not just a scripture we visit at gravesides at time of death, but in reality and practicality, it is a song of life, a song of life. And honestly and truly for every believer, it's a song that we can sing, not only with our words, but also with our lives as well. Now, as you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23, we've had a pretty incredible time the past four weeks singing this song together. David in his songwriting career, man, he has topped the charts with this Psalm 23 right here. Led by the Holy Spirit of God, we have a song for the ages. Now, as David wrote this psalm, we did our best to interweave this psalm with John chapter 10, which is the reminder that as we talk about the shepherd of David, that we are reminded of the good shepherd named Jesus and how even a passage written so long ago bears fruit in your life and my life today, that the very God we serve is a God who is our good shepherd in Jesus Christ. Now in John chapter 10, one of my favorite verses in verse 10, and it says this, that that the thief comes only to kill and to steal and to destroy. So in the conversation of a good shepherd, we recognize this, that there are other voices, that there are other characters played out in this song of life. And one of those is that of the enemy. Now, the enemy kind of manifests in several different ways. The enemy also is oftentimes found within, right? A sin nature, a selfishness that's bent against God away from God and bent towards sin and self. There's the enemy within. But there's also the enemy without. And it's the very enemy Jesus calls out in John chapter 10, who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy that which God desires to do in our heart and our life. It seeks to rob us of our shepherd. And so we know there's the enemy. And he's called in John chapter 10, the thief. I I wanna share a a story with me and and don't you judge me, okay? You just throw that, don't you judge me. But I tell you what, growing up, I had an incredible college pastor. I love it. In fact, let me just kind of show you a picture. And I think they got a picture of him up on the big screen. This is Glenn Metz, this guy right here. Isn't he cute? I just love this guy. He is my college pastor. And now he pastors an incredible church in the Seymour area called Shiloh Baptist Church. In fact, I still mow their church lawn, okay? And I love, I love this guy. He's a dear friend. We met this past weekend. We ate, well, um, several years ago, back when I was in college, two or three years ago. Anyway, he had a birthday. Wow, somebody really got a kick out of that one. Um, Maybe five years ago. Anyway, he had a birthday. And uh, man, we wanted to celebrate this birthday pretty big. We knew this is our college pastor. We're not just your ordinary group of college students. We are going to celebrate this big. And so we we got an idea. My brother who had lived with him at the time was going to take him out to supper in Pigeon Forge, okay? And after supper, they were going to drive towards the house, but they were going to stop at that Walgreens in Pigeon Forge right there before you get to the Apple Barn, you know what I'm talking about? And they were going to stop there and go into Walgreens. Well, me and my buddies had gotten the lodge already up a hidden mountain. It was decked out, people were invited, they were getting it all ready. So me and my buddies decided to get a large unmarked white van to dress in black 
and to put pantyhose over our head and we were going to get him to the party in style by kidnapping him from the Walgreens parking lot. What could go wrong? So we pull up in the Walgreens parking lot. Wide unmarked van, everything your mom warned you about in life. We're decked out in black. We decided to go ahead and put our pantyhose over our head. Everything was good until we started noticing people in the parking lot running into the front doors. Women were crying. Men were in fetal positions all across the parking lot. And it had dawned on us. We didn't think this through, very much so. And so we're waiting for our college pastor. This has been too good to let this go by the wayside, but we didn't want to go to prison, right? And so what we decided to do was, hey guys, I said, guys, they, they, they see us. Um, they, they see us that we're scaring people. So we sent one of the buddies, said, listen, go into Walgreens, run in there and tell them we're just going to kidnap our college pastor. He jumps out of the van with his pantyhose still on his head and he runs into Walgreens and literally people are running like ants everywhere. It is great. And he runs in there and he takes off his pantyhose and says, guys, 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 no, 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 don't call the police. We're just here to kidnap our college pastor. And literally everybody's like, that's really cool. Yeah, go for it. And then he comes back in the van and people start lining up at the windows and the doors to watch us kidnap our college pastor. I'm gonna tell you something. You wanna take down a Walgreens? Just tell them you're kidnapping somebody, right? They will let you have everything you need. So anyway, so we get out in the parking lot and here comes Pastor Glenn. Love that guy. He gets out of his car and we're watching with our pantyhose on. There's, uh, there's only seven of us. And we, um, <laughs> my buddy Blue pulls out and squeals the tires. Pulls right next to Pastor Glenn, literally missing him by that much and slams on the brakes. We open that sliding door. Remember those old sliding doors? No button, you just open it. We open that door and his face drained of all color, mouth wide open, tears in his eyes, looked on seven guys very much larger than him and we threw a bag over him and grabbed him and threw him in the van and blue pulls off. People at Walgreens, beautiful. That was awesome, you go. Glenn's in the thing and I can feel him through the bag and he's shaking. It was awesome. Well, we took the bag off his head because we realized you can't breathe long in plastic. And so we took him out of there. We didn't want to kill him. We just want to surprise him. And so he began to look through all the pantyhose on our head and realized, I know you. And I know you. And man, I'm going to say, we had the best birthday party ever and didn't go to prison. But here's what I remember. I remember thinking Glenn for a moment was really convinced that we were an enemy that was coming to kill, steal, and destroy his birthday, right, in his life. He was terrified at that fact. And though we laugh at that type of story, we are also reminded in the 23rd Psalm that there are enemies about us that are real. And their end game is not a birthday party. Their end game is to destroy every bit of what God desires to do in your heart my heart, in your life, in my life. And you know what? He is actively at work even this morning. Hey, don't you know it? Haven't you, haven't you felt it? 
Haven't you seen it at times work in your life? Haven't you seen him come after you? Haven't you seen him come after your family from time to time? And yet we sing a song this morning that is the very hope and the remedy of every enemy that sets themselves up against us. And this has been our song. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall live in the house of the Lord forever. You know what's amazing? For the past four weeks, we have been immersed in this imagery of a shepherd who loves and cares for his sheep. But did you notice a transition taking place in this song around verse number five? Did you notice a different type of imagery is invoked in this passage? We go from a good shepherd who lovingly cares for his sheep in verses one through four to what we find is a gracious king who not only loves, but lavishes his provision for all of those who will but sit at his table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over, the Bible says. And so this morning, you know what we do? We close out this song, singing it as strong and as loud and as proud as ever before, as I believe David does, led by the Spirit of God, as he writes this song of Psalm 23. Now let's begin here, that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now let me, let me throw out a caution here. Now we often do this, especially in our culture, is what we do is we begin to take the word of God and make it all about us, when really and truly it's all about God. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy is not the battle cry of a man who will cheat on his wife and seek to divorce her. And when everything happens in the court systems, will then label her as an enemy and say, my God will prepare a table for me in her presence. Rather, careful. Because when you set yourself up as the enemy, God will set her table. It's not, it's not a passage for that situation. It's not for the business owner who believes the IRS is the enemy. So they do everything to evade their taxes. They try not to pay on their taxes. And all of a sudden, an IRS agent shows up at the door, knocking on the door saying, man, you are in trouble. And we don't then go to quote this and go, hey, no, you're my enemy and God's gonna prepare a table for me in front of you. He will, but it's likely in a debtor's prison, Right? Be careful not to misappropriate the word of God. But David says what is incredible in here is that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Let me show you a picture here. This picture 
is from Jerusalem. Now the shot is taken from Jerusalem, looking over, and let me just kind of share this with you. Over here are the mountains of Moab, the very wilderness that shepherds would take their sheep into towards high country, the very valleys of the shadow of death will be over here on this side. But this is Jerusalem where David would establish his throne and he's looking out and it's very close to the mountains of Moab. One of the things, and I get to go to Jerusalem in a couple of months, but one of the things that they always say coming back is they're just surprised how close everything is to each other. Everything's just close together. And I love the imagery here of preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Because you know what's amazing from this vantage point in Jerusalem, David would look out on the mountains of Moab and whether he was a fugitive running from Saul or he was leading as king of Israel, his enemies were just right here. Not just one enemy, but many enemies of King David resided right here in this region. You know what? The enemies could look down into Jerusalem on David. David could look up and see some of the very activity of his enemies. Listen to me. His enemies were always before him as he would cry out time and time again in the Psalms. And what is the very remedy of that? A gracious king who invites David to come and to sit at his table. And so as we sit at this table that God has prepared for us in the presence of our enemy, I love this. My team put sticky notes up here. Exhibit A, the empty glass is the Tennessee Falls. <laughs> Exhibit B, the oil is Georgia State. Uh, anyway, uh, we sit at a table, you're fired. Um, we sit at a table that the Lord has prepared in the presence of our enemies. Can I read you one, one commentator? He's a scholar and he describes the scene in Psalm 23. Listen to what he says. He says, so the enemies surround the guest. He says, and yet he is comforted by the table of the king. In the Middle East, the king who would host such an event was obligated not only to entertain the guest, but listen, but to protect him from his enemies. And once the meal of hospitality had been partaken, all the power and the strength of the host became assured to the guest. He was now safe and secure and his enemies were powerless to injure him. All he would have to do is sit at the king's table from now on, the man who sat at the king's table would be protected and secured by the king. Hey church, let me ask you a question. Who's the enemy in your heart and life? I mean, you've done a wrong to them, but they hate you anyway. Maybe they hate the God you serve. Maybe they despise the words you live by. Or maybe, just maybe, they don't like you for you. Hey, by the way, we should form a team. Get shirts made. Right? It happens to all of us. You ever had somebody just hate you for you? Ain't nothing wrong with them. Have you ever had somebody dislike you because of Jesus in your life? 
Man, it happens. Enemies surround us at times and at seasons in our life. And here's the beauty of what David begins to sing and describe of his gracious king, that when he sits at the table with his king, that though the enemies may surround him, they are powerless to injure him. And so the question I have for you, church, are you ready to sit at the king's table? Are you ready to sit with him? You know what we're quick to do? Hey, hey God, I got this. I'm gonna fight this enemy myself. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna destroy them. And we find ourselves in a battle that does nothing less than destroy us. And the invitation of Psalm 23 is to come and sit with a gracious king who the minute you sit at his tables, he'll fight your battles for you. He'll take arms against your enemy and he'll protect you from your enemies. Are you ready to sit at the king's table? But not only does he prepare a table in the very presence of my enemies, the Bible says that he anoints my head with oil. Now that's a little bit of a lost symbolism for us, isn't it? You know what this olive oil is good for doing? Frying up some stuff, cooking, greasing that pan. That's what we know it for. But I'm gonna tell you something. The word anoint means to make fat. And you're looking at me going, you've been anointed a lot, right? Now listen, it's the idea of applying oil to a person's head or to their beard. And it takes what has been diminished through the day's travel and the sun and the heat and it brings it back to life. What they would do in the time of David is a gracious king and host would add different spices and would add different fragrances inside the oil. And so even if it was a long day's travel to sit at the king's table, they'd get washed up and they would get refreshed and their face that was dirtied and dull would begin to shine. It's symbolism of joy and gladness. You know what story it reminds me of, church? Remember Jesus in the gospel of Luke chapter seven? Do you remember when he was invited to sit at a religious leader, a Pharisee's home by the name of Simon? And there he kicked back and he, re, he reclined there at the table of Simon. When all of a sudden the Bible tells us that a woman, and here's what we know of her, you ready? That she was a sinner. And I'll tell you what, that's all we know of her. That she was a sinner. We know nothing more and nothing less than that was the title she bore amongst the religious leaders of that day. I'll be honest with you. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a pastor. I'm a brother. But you know what? I've borne that title before. And people can call me what they want, but I know that apart from my king, I know what my label would be. And that was the label she bore. And what's amazing is that she comes onto the scene as she interrupts this story in an incredible way. The Bible says that she began to kiss the feet of Jesus. And she began to cry and her tears wet his feet and she took her hair and she began to wash the feet of Jesus. And then she took what was most precious to her, most valuable to her and an alabaster box, her perfume, and she cracked it open and she poured it. She anointed the feet of Jesus in the house of that religious leader. And as this incredible worship scene unfolds, 
the religious leader in disgust and disdain for that woman and her actions was interrupted by Jesus. And Jesus began to answer not his words, but his thoughts. And listen to what Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman, the Bible says in verse 44, and said to Simon, you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which was customary, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Verse 45, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Verse 46, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. A custom of anointing that carries on into the New Testament, and what we find here is that a woman whose title and position is only that of a sinner knows more about the anointing of the Lord than does a religious man in all his learning. She knew what it was for her life to be full and anointed because of Jesus. You see, when I sit at the table, He anoints my head with oil and I'm full and I'm in his presence. And then it's as if that's not enough. He says, and my cup runs over. Now listen, I want to talk to you about this a little bit. Here's two different types of people in the room. You ready? You know where I'm going. Some of y'all look at this and it's half empty. Some of y'all look at this and you're half full. Those of you who are half full, you know exactly who the half empty people are in the room, don't you? Don't point them out. You know who they are. Those of you who are half half empty people, you are annoyed at the very presence of the half full people, aren't you? Man, this is how we are in life. Hey, when it comes to Jesus, that conversation's off the table because here's what we understand about Jesus is that when we sit at his table, Half anything is not on the table. We, we do not sit in the presence of a king who is giving us just rations and hopes that he has enough. We are sitting in the presence of a gracious king who has it all and desires to overflow your life and my life with everything he has. And David says, when I sit at his table, even in the presence of my enemies, my cup runs over. David knew seasons and times in his life where everything seemed half full for him. He knew seasons of his life where he had great want and great desires. And yet when he sat at the king's table, even his cup ran over. Even his cup ran over. And I think of Jesus, my good shepherd, my gracious king. And I think of sitting at his table. And you know what? My cup runs over, not dependent upon the situations and the circumstances of my life, but dependent upon my willingness to follow my shepherd and to sit at my king's table. And every time I do, My cup runs over. Hey, church family, 
Are you ready to sit at the king's table today? And as if that was not enough, he goes on to sing, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That our good shepherd and our gracious king not only prepares a table, but all the days of our life, he sends goodness and mercy to follow us. I got to thinking about the word in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse eight, where the Bible says the Lord himself goes before you. I got to thinking about Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, where the Bible says his everlasting arms are under you. I begin to think about Psalm 121 5 where the Bible says the Lord watches over you. I begin to think about Psalm 118 verse 16 where the Bible says the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I begin to think about Psalm 23 that goodness and mercy shall follow me. And here's what I begin to see. That every moment of my life, my position in Christ comes with it. The very fact that God has his arms under me. That God watches over me. That God is on either side of me. That God goes out before me and he sends his goodness and his mercy to follow me. And here's what's amazing about that. You ready? That in my good shepherd and my gracious king, no matter where I find myself, everywhere I look, there he is. Even in the presence of my enemy, surely his goodness and his mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I just wonder this, as we think of a good shepherd and a gracious king. In this passage, we go from green pastures to the grand banquet hall. We find ourselves going from the valleys of the shadow of death, being led by our shepherd, to the higher grounds of celebration at the feet of our gracious king. And my question is, are you ready to sit at his table this morning? Listen to how David ends this song. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. For the promise of God purchased by Christ. I think that not only has Jesus prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemy, but he has also prepared a home for you and I forever. John chapter 14, in the darkest hours of Jesus' life still to come, he looks at his disciples and says this in verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. But I'm gonna tell you something so incredible about this song. Not only a table, not only the anointing, not only a cup that runs over, not only surely in goodness and mercy that's gonna follow me, but forever I will be in the presence of the Lord in his house. I think of what Billy Graham says, the Bible says that as long as we are here on earth, 
We are strangers in a foreign land. He goes on to say that there are enemies to be conquered before we return home. This world is not our home, that our citizenship is in heaven. I think of what Paul wrote to church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And Billy Graham would further state this, even when we allow our imaginations to run wild on the joys of heaven, we find that our minds are incapable of conceiving what it will be like. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I'm gonna tell you, this morning we could get caught up talking about how the most precious of metals in our culture is pavement in heaven. We could get caught up in what all is there of a gate made of pearl, which would be a sight to see. We could get caught up in all the trappings of heaven, but I'm gonna tell you what I'm most interested in in this conversation. is the fact that Jesus is there. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I could care less about the house and I can care less about the time frame. Just that it is the Lord, that it is Jesus that I'm with. I love what a Puritan man once wrote. He says, when I, uh, when I get to heaven for the first thousand years, all I shall do is gaze and gaze at Jesus. And then maybe I'll look around. I'm gonna tell you, that is what heaven is for me. I'm reminded of an old pastor by the name of D.L. Moody of the last generation. He did, had an incredible impact on the kingdom of God, led many people to faith and trust in Jesus, just an incredible pastor. After his death, they looked through his Bible and they found this poem. You ready? It reads like this, the light of heaven is the face of Jesus. The joy of heaven is the presence of Jesus. The melody of heaven is the name of Jesus. The harmony of heaven is the praise of Jesus. The theme of heaven is the work of Jesus. The employment of heaven is the service of Jesus. And the fullness of heaven itself is Jesus. You know, D.L. Moody got to a place where he knew his life was coming to an end. That he had but moments left. And what seemed like an eternity lost in a coma of sleep, before his final breath, D.L. Moody, who wrote that poem, opened his eyes and cried out, oh, this is wonderful. It is my coronation day. Don't try to call me back. Heaven is more magnificent than I ever imagined. And he cried out, there is Jesus as the very breath left his body and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I jotted this down. I can't wait to hold him for he's held me so long. I can't wait to see him for he's never lost sight of me. I can't wait to hear his voice for his voice is already so familiar to me. I can't wait for my faith to become sight. For one look at his face, and I know that I'll recognize him, love him, and soon I'll behold him. Soon.
I will dwell in his house forever. But until then, until then, I will follow my shepherd where he leads. I will sit at my king's table and I will not get up for anything else this world has to offer until then. I love Revelation 21 verse four. It says this, and one day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't know how many tears you've cried. You know where the majority of my tears take place? Where nobody else can see. But he does. And the Bible says that one day in his presence, he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. And over there, everything that causes tears, the death, there's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or no more pain. Why? Because praise God, the old order of things are done away. And behold, all things are new. I don't know the catalyst of your tears. I don't know your hurts. I don't know your mourning, your pain. I only know that the good shepherd, Jesus, our king, can wipe away our tears, not just for a moment, but forever. And so I sing with you this morning that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Then I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You ready, believer? As we close out this series, don't stop singing this song. Sing it often. Cite it continually. Never stop searching its treasures. Never cease to mine its wealth and riches. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I found an author who did a whole lot of math and applied it to Revelation chapter 21. In this whole discussion of the new heaven and the new earth, where you and I will dwell with the Lord forever. Let me share with you some things. The very description in the word of God lends itself to this very city of heaven is 1,400 miles in length, 1,400 miles in width, and it's 1,400 miles tall. If you were to impose the city of heaven on a map of the United States, it would extend from Mexico to Canada, from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the Rocky Mountains. Man, it's a pretty big city. And this author wondered, I wonder if 20 billion people made it to heaven. Would there even be room? And so he began the mathematical equations and here's what he found. He found that first of all, 20 billion in the service of a king who says very narrow is the road and narrow is the gate to get to him. 20 billion is probably very gracious in what would one day be the inhabitants of the city of heaven. 
He said, but let's just say 20 billion people made it. Would we even have room? And you know what he came away with? That every person who would make it to heaven because of Jesus would have 75 acres in the new city of heaven. As I sing this song of Psalm 23, I consider that truth. Do you know what I walk away with? I don't need 75 acres. I need my family there. I don't need 75 acres. I need you there. I, I don't need 75 acres. I want Sevier County there. Take all my acreage. What matters the most is that I want everybody that God gives me an influence in their life in some way or another to sing the song of Psalm 23, mostly of a good shepherd by the name of Jesus, who is also our gracious king, and that one day that they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So Anthony, what's your parting challenge in this song of Psalm 23? You ready? Follow the shepherd. Quit wandering away from him. Follow the shepherd. You ready, church? Sit at his table. And what I say a thousand times every time I eat dinner with my kids, don't get up from the sit at his table and stay there in faith, in his will, even when the enemy surrounds, in your faith, sit at his table. You say, well, Anthony, how is it? Give me the formula. Give me the top 10 list of how I follow my shepherd and I continually sit at his table. You ready? I don't really have to. I show you Luke chapter nine, verse 23, where Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Guys, we don't follow the shepherd and stay at his table unless we do so on purpose. And Jesus said, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And here's the last parting challenge. You ready? Bring someone with you. Don't you live on 75 acres in that new city because you've lived this life buying for yourself. Because you've bought into the lie. Well, it's just the pastor or the missionary's job to share and be the gospel. I want you to hear me, church. God did not establish this church 11 months ago so that we could just sit in a nice building because we didn't even have a building. So that we could be a growing church to say, hey, we are a growing church. The reason you're here today, even if you are visiting, is because God desires and has a heart for those who are not in this room. And they're not in any church across this community. And he has a heart for them to sing the song of Psalm 23 and to know the salvation that comes from a good shepherd and their gracious king.
bring someone with you. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.